When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Bolin. And you and I both work at HowStuffWorks.com. Correct. Yeah, very good, Ben. Uh, yeah, thanks. I guess man. we have to remind people. I yeah, suppose. I, I mean, I think you have to do it once every few podcasts. You know? Yeah, it's in our it's in our contract. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, so. either way, here we are. Uh, two guys, faces made for radio and voices of angels, coming back <laughs> to give you an episode on something that I think is really cool, and this is one for our race fans. Yes, it definitely is. This is this is a cool one. This one. Uh, Boy, this is a really good one. This one was suggested, believe it or not, by two people within about a month of each other, mm. uh, which is kind of unique because when you hear what the topic is, well, the listeners already know, but right. um, this was mentioned by uh, someone named Kirby uh, who wrote in on Facebook uh, in May, and Kirby wrote that we should do a, a podcast on Chaparral race cars, mm-hmm. and uh, this is also the uh, the listener that uh, mentioned the Ariel Adam, and we did a show on that one already. So. Yes. That's two for Kirby. And then um, <laughs> uh, this also came from uh, Dan, and Dan is from Austin, Texas. Uh, Dan had a, uh, I guess, a, a more direct um, comment about this. He said that, you know, he loved the, the podcast about the Porsche 917 that we did, mm. uh, one of the greatest, you know, race cars of all time, in his opinion, and uh, particularly in the Gulf Colors, he mentioned, you know, the, uh, the oh, blue yeah, orange, yeah. of course. Uh, but he says, why not do a podcast on Jim Hall and Chaparral cars? Chaparral was responsible for many of the innovations we see on today's race cars mm-hmm. and the engineering approach taken in today's top-level racing efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2C was Jim's first car to use a movable wing, uh, which is also called the adjustable angle of attack, right. uh, which was later banned by the FIA. And then there's a 2J car, which we're going to talk about, which is the sucker car, which is the first – you know what? We're not going to mention that one yet. <laughs> Why? Because we're going to hold off on that one because okay. when we get to the 2J, yeah. that's one of my favorite cars. All uh, right. One of my favorite race cars uh, you know, in principle. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I think I see where you're going with yeah, that. Yeah, so we'll talk about the uh, the 2J. If you don't know about the 2J, mm-hmm. stay tuned because uh, it's, it's an interesting mix. 
So uh, to paraphrase uh, Van Morrison, cast your memory back there loud. Uh, <laughs> overcome thinking about Chaparral. Okay. Uh, so, I'm sorry. They're not all going to be funny. <laughs> so, uh, At least start with a funny one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know. All, all right. right. It's I, fine. I know. I know. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll um, make it off. Well, somebody will write in and give us some good jokes. Uh, so, so from <laughs> the 1960s uh, through the, I guess, mid to early 70s. Yeah. Uh, we've got an automobile team, a racing team building some very interesting cars. And our story starts back in 62, mm-hmm. 1962, uh, with a guy named Jim Hall and a guy named Hap Sharp. Yes, that's right. They formed a company called Chaparral Cars Incorporated. And where was that? That was in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that was in, oh, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I sorry to interrupt, man. No, that's all right. I, yeah, it's in it's in Texas and Midland, Texas. Yeah, and Chaparral is formed by combining their two names. Oh, okay, got it. And uh, you know, the, here's the crazy thing about this is that um, you mentioned you mentioned that you know through the, through the 70s. So you said 60 through the 70s. Yeah. Their legacy kind of, it kind of goes on through about the mid 90s, really, if we get down to it. But it's it's a different type of thing. So we'll talk about that. Right? When yeah. We get there's to it. a but change. That's yeah. You, but you're right. You're absolutely yeah. right that they they uh, they built and designed cars in the 60s and 70s that were just uh, well, they were outlandish. Yeah, they, they were crazy cars. They were. They may as well have been spacecraft. Uh, they really were, and they and they had this impressive list of drivers. Now, mm-hmm. I guess we need to talk about who Jim Hall is, really. Um, now, Jim, he's one of the founders, right? Yeah, Jim Jim Hall, one of the founders. He's got. He is an engineer, mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost. Now, people who've listened to our Colin Chapman uh, podcast will recall that it is incredibly important. Uh, to be an engineer when you, or to at least have an engineer when you found a company. Yes. Um, do you, do you want to talk about the Colin Chapman part? I, you know, I don't know about that. Why don't, why don't you go ahead and, and do that? And, uh, I just want to mention something about, uh, Jim's, Jim's Formula One history. Okay. Do, do the Formula One. Okay. So here, here's Jim Hall, right? And he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's, you know, this is, he's born in 1935. So we're talking about, you know, someone who's, he's what, 70, Six years old now, is that right? Mm-hmm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an American-born uh, citizen. He's he's a Formula One driver from like the early 1960s, which yeah. is really kind of cool. I mean, that was a, that was a neat time to be in Formula One. Remember, mm-hmm. we've talked about this, you know, on many occasions. Uh, but from 1960 to 1963, he was an F1 driver, and um, he drove uh, in s- several races. He drove in 12 races. He had 11 starts. Mm-hmm. Um, just he never. I don't think he ever had any wins, um, but he he was you know in this uh, I don't know in this exclusive group group of drivers that was really I mean at the time the things that they were doing they were becoming so advanced so quickly mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I'm I'm stating this right but but racing really jumped in leaps and bounds at this point yeah exactly is at a breakneck pace and the the drivers were working with technology that could be completely. Un, untested almost. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the thing. They were somewhere between test pilots and race car because drivers. Because they were just throwing it out on the track saying, here's what makes you go fast. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the safest thing. In fact, it, it wasn't even close to being safe at that time. <laughs> yeah. And, and they just didn't care. They cared about going fast. And, and it's just the way racing was. And we're talking about some of the, um, I'm, I'm trying to come up with, with a phrase that describes, I guess some of the, the, the legendary race car drivers like, when we say Jim Hall was driving with 
legendary drivers. We also mean like the Jimmy Clarks, the Graham mm-hmm. Hills, like the people who really pioneered and their feedback and their experience driving with these new technologies that we've mentioned in like the Lotus and that we're going to mention here later mm-hmm. on, uh, they really informed the way these things evolved into what we recognize in racing today as well as a lot of conventional vehicles. Yeah, these are the big names. I mean, he had – in fact, later as we talk about, you know, the Chaparral cars themselves and, you know, the yeah. the, uh, the the evolution of the vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, you'll find that, you know, not only did Jim Hall drive for his own vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, but also Phil Hill, Al Unzer, Johnny Rutherford. I mean, in some big, big races and they had some uh, – Critical, critical wins. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love the history of this car. I think it's really cool. So let's, uh, you want to dig in? Yeah, yeah, let's jump in. All right. In. And, and, you know, one, one other quick little note here. This reminds me an awful lot of the, uh, the GT40 story and the, uh, the Porsche 917 story. It, it, it just is one of those things where like they came out of, almost out of nowhere, really. Yeah, out um, of it, the blue, out it, of left field. It seemed like it. I mean, I know there's a lot of development and a lot of time that goes into this and, and, mm-hmm. and work. But really, they kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, here's a car that, you know, the, the Chaparral 2, which is their, their first real, um, real push into, into professional yeah, yeah. racing because they had, they had a Chaparral 1, which was, uh, just basically a modified road car, really. Um, right. Yeah. And they didn't call it the 1, of course. It was just a Chaparral. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the Chaparral 2 was, uh, was, you know, of course, Jim Hall was driving, but mm-hmm. in, I think it was with 20, I'm reading from, uh, chaparralcars.com here. It says with 25 starts and 15 events, uh, it scored a seven overall wins, six second places and two third places. Um, this is in 1965, I believe, 64. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is early, early on in the company because remember the company was only formed in 1962. Yes. Um, and it just dominated in United States road racing. It was just a, it was a, it was a powerhouse. Mm-hmm. This thing, and it had a, it had a um, an endurance win. It won at the Sebring twelve hour race against you know competitors that have been doing this for decades. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's you know this this upstart company, you know two years old, and they're winning at Sebring. And there are some, you know, we we do have the duty when we talk about this history to talk about the drivers, but let's also not be mistaken. The technical changes, the, mm-hmm. the, the technological advances in the Chaparrells drove, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, I, I got to plead manslaughter to yeah. that joke. Uh, the, the, it really was driven by a lot of the engineering innovations, like the, um, the first air dams, mm-hmm. uh, the first, Spoilers, uh, I, a lot of aerodynamic twists. Yeah, 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 that's, I'm that's the best way to say it, I guess, overall. Yeah. Is that, um, you know, they were really playing around with how to make this car slippery, uh, is what is the best way to put it, probably. That's a really good way to and, put it. And not only that, they were also playing around with, um, aerodynamics in, in pushing the car down. Uh, mm-hmm. so d- downforce, of course, you know, everybody yeah. will know that term. They've heard that many, many times. Uh, but downforce was, was key in these. And in fact, when we get to one of the vehicles, that's really, that's all the car is about, really. Downforce. Let's, brute, brute force and downforce. <laughs> let's go to, uh, some more of the vehicles. Yeah, you know, um, in the series that they're racing, I, I do want to get to the vehicles. The, yeah, the yeah. series that they raced in, uh, were the U.S. RRC, which is the United States Road Racing Championship. They raced in, um, uh, the SCCA, which is the Sport Car Club, or, yeah, Sports Car Club of America. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, they raced in, um, uh, well, the IndyCar series later on, 
Um, you know, there's just a, a number of different series that these vehicles competed in and in the Can-Am series, which is one of uh, – I, I love the Can-Am series, so yeah. we'll talk about that too. But uh, let's, let's go through the cars and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll kind of outline when they were uh, – when they were around and kind of their, their highlight of their history here. Uh, so the Chaparral 1 that we mentioned earlier mm-hmm. actually came about in 1961, prior to the forming of the um, um, the company of Chaparral company, Cars, yeah. really. Um, you know, that was the one that was a modified street car, really, or mm-hmm. road car, I should say. I don't know if I could call it a street car. Um, and then in 1962, they actually had uh, – that's when they came out with the Chaparral 2. I see that 1963 is listed a lot, but I believe that's when it first raced. That's the first ah, okay. season that it competed. I was wondering about that. So that's the difference is 1963 is the first time we see this vehicle in a race. Exactly, yeah. Okay. yeah. And I think you're going to see that number either 62 or 63 depending on where you look. Now, this is from ChaparralCars.com, so I'm going to go with what they have, Yeah, of course. Um, 63 for the Chaparral 2. Um, then they um, – you know, again, these are like – I'm trying, some of them are open cockpit. Some of them have got a, a canopy over them. Mm-hmm. Extremely smooth-looking road racing cars, and a lot oh, of them yeah. have, like we mentioned, aerodynamics. You know, they get into the point where they have these giant wings on top of them, mm-hmm. almost like, um, almost like the the sprint cars do. Um, I'm trying to think of the World of Outlaws, sort of like that. You know, they have that <laughs> yeah. giant wing on top, but it's mm-hmm. it's a little different. You know, it's just forward facing. The cars remind me a lot of um, the cars you'd see in like Speed Racer. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's weird because the way that they're designed, uh, the aerodynamic na- nature of it makes it look like these cars were sort of, especially in the front, it makes it look like the cars were worn down by erosion or the way that s- stone gets really smooth when water yeah, goes over. Yeah, you're right. It, you're so. right. They are so smooth and so slick looking and they were really, you know, they were unlike a lot of the angular cars at the time. I mean, you know, you'll find some similarities between them and other vehicles, of course, but um, mm-hmm. they were really, really testing the limits of uh, the aerodynamics here in these vehicles. And, uh, you know, they went on to design the 2E and the 2D and the 2G and the 2F, and, you know, it just goes on and on, but uh, 2H, 2J, um, I think the last one was maybe the 2K mm-hmm. in what? the 80s, but... Um, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do want to do a sidebar here and point out that um, I don't know if you uh, are familiar with uh, video games, Scott, but there's a similar counting uh, irregularity in a game franchise called Street Fighter. Hmm. They had Street Fighter 1 and yeah. then they had Street Fighter 2 and then they just kept having different versions of Street Fighter 2. Really? So there was never like eventually there there were other iterations, but when we see two B, two C, two K, it makes me think, <laughs> where's three? That's terribly confusing. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 that's terribly confusing with the video game thing, though. Well, yeah, with the video game thing, it, it it's confusing. Um, with the there's definitely more of a leg to stand on with racing mm-hmm. because they're. The, the design of the two and the one are different enough that I think they do qualify sure. for a different number. And then what we see with the – although we see a lot of innovations in the two series, what we're seeing is um, more like a revision of an existing thing. Yes, exactly, especially when you see them all lined up. And there's mm-hmm. a uh, there's a link – or rather a tab on – uh, Chaparral cars, you can look up, it's called the Legacy tab. And if you look up under Legacy, it's kind of got a little gallery shot of, uh, Jim sitting in the middle of all of his vehicles. And, uh, it's really, you can, you can clearly see the evolution of, of the mm-hmm. two, the, the, the two line of cars, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, 
Can we just get right to it and talk about the car that I want to talk about? Because uh, I think this is the main focus, unless you've got other things you want to fill in beforehand, because that, that's fine with me. Um, but I, I, I'm excited to talk about the 2J. Okay, I've, I've got just just a couple things to add, but I'll, I'll pepper them in. <laughs> Thank you. So, so yeah. wait, wait, wait. Let's pause for a drum roll because this is Scott Benjamin's favorite car, race well, car in principle. Yeah, I think so. I think it is. All right, this car now it raced in the Can Am series, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, to begin with, you know, this is the Can Am series, nineteen seventy. This mm-hmm. is called the Two J. Okay, you can look it up anywhere. You can find photos of it. There is no engine size limit in that series at this time. Which, right there, that should tell you that this is a great car series, a great racing series. Yeah, uh, terribly dangerous, but uh, you know, fantastic car series. Mm-hmm. Um, the Two J. Now it had a, a seven hundred horsepower engine. Okay, that's pretty strong. Pretty strong because yeah. you're talking about a uh, extremely lightweight vehicle, you know, race purpose built race vehicle, open right. cockpit. Um, I'll tell you, it's of all the race cars of that era, it's not the prettiest car. Mm-hmm. It's not the prettiest car. It's uh, you know, I'm holding up a picture for Ben to look at right now with the two. Yeah, no, so I, it's, I, it's um, it's boxy. See, that's why I'm surprised that you that this is one of your favorites in well, principle. It it. It, because of what it does, it's because of, this led this bridged the gap for so many other advancements in in that in that type of uh, that, that that form of racing, I guess that road racing type of uh, of uh, series. Okay, okay, um, no, and, I see and you get going. to this, but yeah. here's a car. Now this was this was banned. This car was banned from racing mm-hmm. um, after it took. Yeah, everybody kind of lobbied together in the in the series and said we can't have this car compete against us because it was such a, a formidable competitor, but it didn't win any races. Now that's unusual, right? Right. It took three pole positions out of four starts that it had. Mm. I mean, it ran the fastest lap at Watkins Glen. Corners like nobody's business. Yeah, it had a sixth place finish at, at Road Atlanta, and that's probably about the best that it did in the entire season in 1970. Mm-hmm. Now you may think, like, well, what the heck is so different about this car? Why would they want to ban this car? It doesn't sound like it's much of a competitor, other than you know it turned a fast lap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it the pole position. Of course, that's something everybody's hunting for it, you know, the right, race. Right. But, um, here's what's unusual about this car, and you'll spot it right away. I mean, when you look at the the, the Chaparral 2J, mm-hmm. 2J it, it's working on something called the Venturi effect. And if you know anything about the Venturi effect, it's a it's a suction that, that pulls a, a vehicle or, you know, a fluid or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's really, in this case, it's creating downforce for the car. And in a way that I, I saw it described one time is probably probably the best way that I've ever heard it described. This car operates like the reverse of a hovercraft. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's, I heard something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's got it's got rubber skirts underneath the car mm-hmm. that uh, that come to with just in a fraction of an inch of the of the track surface. Mm, centimeters. So, oh, okay, it's that close. Yeah, it's really really close. I think. And I mentioned that it's boxy, and that's so that it has all four corners that have you know nice. You know, it's almost square. The mm-hmm. car is almost square. But the most unusual feature on this thing, Ben, can you can you guess? Mm, is it the adjustable part? The giant fans in the back of the car. Ah, yeah. yeah okay. The, the giant fans. Now, there's two huge fans at the back of this car, and it looks really weird. Yeah. But um, now remember, it's got a 700-horsepower engine. Right. Um, this These two fans are for nothing more than pulling air out from underneath the vehicle. That's all they do. They run independently of the engine. They don't run off of the engine. Mm-hmm. It's a 45-horsepower snowmobile engine that runs these two fans and nothing else. Which is so similar to hovercraft technology because hovercrafts will have, just just as a sidebar for comparison, hovercrafts will also 
have a different engine. They'll have an engine for propulsion and an engine to manage the air. Exactly. One to push air under the vehicle. Mm-hmm. This one ex- takes air out. It extracts air. Now this thing, the, the incredible amount of downforce this thing, this thing puts out. I mean, it, it's, I've heard it called insane amount of downforce, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's able to corner just about as hard as it can go in the straights. Um, it, it just, it sucks itself to the ground via these two fan, two giant fans at the back powered by a 45 horsepower mm-hmm. snowmobile engine. Now, when you hear it running, the, the sound of the snowmobile engine overpowers the sound of the, the, Car engine yeah. at lower speeds. Now at mm-hmm. higher speeds, of course, you're going to hear the the, uh, the bigger engine. But um, this car, I mean, that's why they call it the sucker car. You know, I mentioned that in the the, the email here. Right. Know, yeah. Yeah. We were just getting to that part where um, uh, who was it? I think it was Dan was getting all excited about the uh, the two J as well. And because of this downforce, it could corner at faster speeds. Yes. Exactly. Like and not then, not even not not a few miles faster, guys. Like. Out corner everything else exactly like you know after one lap they're uh, they're you know half of the course ahead of the uh, the rest of the competition or something like that you know it was, mm-hmm. it was that much of a dramatic imp- improvement in in cornering uh, just able to go into the corners that much harder and exit you know w- without lifting really mm-hmm. um, it's an incredible incredible advantage and uh, you know if you haven't looked at the two J yet you know mm-hmm. as, you're li- as you're listening to us mm-hmm. make a note to do so because it's uh, it's really just one of those cars that it stands out in history and. This this whole idea of downforce and and uh, the technology. Now they may do it go about it in different ways. There were other cars that kind of imitated this. Sure. Um. You know that that had similar technology that you know draw air out from underneath. And now we do it with uh you know ducting from the front of the vehicle mm-hmm. creates that downforce. Um. Or you know wings on top of the vehicle. And they still you know Chaparral did that as well. But um this is one of those cars that this this really led the way. They they showed you how important. Um, downforce was to a car and how much it could give a vehicle like this an advantage. For one beautiful season. Exactly. Until they were banned. Right. And let's, let's, to, to figure out why they were banned, let's go to, uh, one of the drivers of the 2J, Vic Elford. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vic Elford, he is a British fellow and, uh, he wasn't able to, uh, bring the car to a win, as we said. But he's got some input on it in some interviews you can read. Uh, he was driving he, – he recalls driving the experience and um, just being able to pretty much smoke everybody else. Mm-hmm. He said it's a, it's a wonderful car to drive. Um, it's got a semi-automatic transmission. Uh, it – he said it was complicated to get it running uh because of just the way it was it was different mm-hmm. from from so much of the other technology at the time but here's where he gets just a little bit I don't want to call him bitter Scott okay I want to call him maybe blunt oh okay uh so he says he traces the end of the 2J technology to one person he says, according to Vic Elford, he blames uh, Teddy Mayer, uh, the boss of McLaurin at the time. Oh, McLaren. Okay. McLaren. Sorry, McLaren. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, and so, really, yeah, because the Can Am had been, and I'm, let me quote here from him: uh, the Can Am had been exclusively the property of the McLaren for three years or so, and so he could see Teddy Mayer uh, could see all the money going away, and basically he killed it. So wow. he's saying that's why it was banned. Um, 
And he said if it hadn't been banned, everybody else in the Can-Am would have followed suit. You know, I'm making a note here because I want to talk about the McLaren cars sometime in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, Bruce McLaren and his vehicles, they were a, a power or force to be reckoned mm-hmm. with back then, I tell you. So um, yeah, Bruce McLaren, I just made a note. We're going to talk about those sometime soon. Um, yeah, that's everybody. a Yeah, everybody acts surprised. <laughs> um, this was it, – it was an incredible time for racing, the 1970s, okay? Now yeah. – now, they get past the 2J and there's other models. I've, I'm going to try to look through my list. Yeah, there's the, uh, there's, uh, of course, the, the 2H infamously dubbed the white whale. <laughs> okay. Do you, have you heard that? <laughs> because of that giant tail on the back? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Those tails, those are impressive. Yeah, it has a, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's, it's long and it's a skinny car and it's got this, it's got a wing basically mm-hmm. in in the middle of the car uh and that's to try to counteract different speed different, racer I'm telling you about yeah. it. I'm telling you but you know what <laughs> I, you know you laugh at it but you know that that hadn't been tried up until that point and right. now look at every race car they've got those tall wings at the back of the vehicle if you look at a formula 1 car if you look at an indie car that's all just an evolution of what you're seeing there. Now you're seeing it in a in a very dramatic form here because yeah. it's on two it looks like sticks. It yeah. looks like it's on two yeah. sticks. And now it's integrated into the back part of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. But every single one of those race cars has it, and if they lose it, they can't race because the back end just flies all over the place. This is this is critical in keeping the back end of the car down on the ground. Mm-hmm. And uh and this is all where it starts. I mean it starts in the Can Am series with uh with these Chaparral cars. And, uh, I mean, I see what I mean? Like the, this, this guy, this, this, this company, mm-hmm. everything that they did, it, it all really, really plays into modern day motorsports. I mean, there's, a, there's, there's definite, um, um, uh, lineage from that all the way through to what we see today. I mean, yeah. you can see it on the racetrack this weekend. Um, it, it's really incredible. Now in the seventies, and it's still, we're still in the seventies. Right, right. Um, in 1978, or by 1978, I should say, they had an IndyCar team. And I'm going to try to, you know, shuffle through a couple notes here to make sure that I'm getting this right. But um, they had driver Al Unzer working for them at the time. Now, Al Unzer, you know, everybody probably familiar with that name. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just one of the, the old-timers names, you know, that you'll you'll hear uh, when related to IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Um by the by the nineteen so late nineteen seventies, now they had they actually had a team so successful that you know they, they won the Indianapolis five hundred, they won the Pocono five hundred, and the California five hundred all within one year, and that's considered the uh, the IndyCar Triple Crown. Right, right. So right. that's a big deal. Okay, that's kind of like the you know the uh, the horse racing Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a it's something that doesn't happen very often or didn't happen very often. Um, you know, go forward just another two years to uh, nineteen eighty. They have a car called the Chaparral 2K, mm-hmm. and they called this car, and oddly enough, the ground effect car, which um, <laughs> this is one of those things. This is another one of those turning moments because yeah. you know how critical ground effects are. We've mentioned it several right. times here, but you see it every you know every time a, an Indy car takes the track. Um, they called this the ground effect car. It was driven by Johnny Rutherford in 1980, and it, of course, won the pole position in 1980. It won the Indy 500 in 1980, and it won the PPG Indy Car Championship that year. So this team is something, you know, it's it's, yeah. it's a dominating team, really. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, uh, Chapman and his Lotus team. They kind of, they're, they're just continuing to, to year after year produce. Mm-hmm. And, and not just produce, but innovate. Exactly. Yeah. Innovation. And that's, that's, that's how they continue to grow because, you know, next year, all the competition has what you had. Um, mm-hmm. if not, if not later in the same season. So they've got to continue to grow like that. Um, 
they, uh, I mean, the the, uh, the IndyCar thing. Now they went away for a while. Um, it went away uh, probably in the eighties, I'd say. You know, early nineteen mm-hmm. eighties, the, mm-hmm. the team kind of went away, and and then in the nineteen nineties, they they came back to IndyCar. Uh, so Jim, here, here's Jim returning with um, an IndyCar team that he has. He has driving. He has John Andretti, his Teo Fabi, and Jill DeFerrin, which are you know some big name drivers. Yeah. So it's not it's not the same people. It's almost like a super group. Exactly. And you know they, they you know DeFerrin wins the Rookie of the Year you know awards, and you can't do that with a bad car. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. um, but you know, so you know, as late as I think it was 1996, he's he's in this racing series now. Mm. now Jim is still around. Yeah. Uh, Jim is still with us. He's uh, he's. What is he doing now? He's got a uh, an interesting business now, doesn't he? Yeah, he's not retired. No, do you know what he does? Take a shot. Take a just take a wild shot. Just take a wild. Yeah, shot? Yeah, wild shot. Okay, he uh, consults. How about here's a safe one. He consults on other racing cars. Uh, he may do that. I don't know for sure about that or not. But uh, his main uh, kind of focus that you'll yeah. that you'll hear about or you read about is that um, he runs a car racing school. In Oxnard, California, um, that's where he currently lives. So you're, it's just north of uh, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And if you go to this kart racing school, uh, which is a huge facility, by the way, if you if you go to the uh, the Jim Hall Kart Racing School site, which mm-hmm. is online, you can find that easy. A lot of professional drivers have have gone through this course uh, with Jim Hall. Uh, you'll find Jim Hall out there on the track occasionally in his. He's got you know race prepared cars that he'll go out in, not just the carts, but mm-hmm. you know, other cars that he'll take out on the course and race. Wow, Mr. Um, Hall is this is a this is a man. this is a big big course. It's not like the little you know little tracks that have the tires around them that you see you know like in uh, in cities sure. and, and resort towns. Yeah, this is a big time track. It's a it's an actual kart racing school where professionals have gone to train and learn. Wow. Um, so it's it's really really cool and. Um, if you want, you can still go see some Chaparral cars that are that are out, um, kind of still hanging around. Some uh, some vintage race cars, mm. and they're on display in uh, something called the Petroleum Museum of Midland, Texas. Um, and they have an entire Chaparral car gallery, or they did at the time when the site was updated. And I'll tell you, Ben, the site I don't think had been updated since about two thousand four. Oh, now, no. I don't know if that's a good sign or a bad sign that right. you know things are too busy for Jim. He hasn't done it, mm-hmm. or maybe he's not in charge of it anymore, or what. But um, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm hoping that it's kind of a permanent exhibit. I would think it would be because it's in Midland, Texas, mm-hmm. home of of Chaparral cars, um, and it's a safe place to keep them. I'll tell you that. But um, you know, you're able to go and kind of walk around them and and see what they're all about. Did you guys, uh, Texas listeners, did you guys catch that hint we dropped? Yeah, let us know. Let it, let us know, Midlanders. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know there's somebody that's got to be near there, or somebody that's that's rolled through Midland recently and gone to the Petroleum Museum because, um, you know, if you if you've seen these, you probably haven't forgotten them. The uh, I I just still I'm still stuck on the ground effect because we since we talked about it before, it's it's so weird to me uh, to to think that there is technology that is banned. Not because it doesn't work, <laughs> but because it, it works well. I mean, it works too well, right? Like all technology, it's been yeah. said before that all technology is inherently disruptive uh, and, and a destabilizing force to the society in which it's produced, right? So that you just th- lost me. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm but kidding. Go you ahead. know what I mean? Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. I zoned out. So um, it, it's it's kind of, it's sad to me man to be yeah. honest well you know this, we see this time and time again in racing that you yeah. know, someone gets an unfair advantage and then everybody else lobbies against that person mm-hmm. and and then you know 
Turns out years later, everybody adopts that technology and, and the sport grows. It grows because of that technology. Now, we, you could say that, you know, there aren't a whole lot of cars now that, if any, that have two giant fans at the back, you know, that operate under a snowmobile engine that, sure. uh, that you know, a lot of times that's just because, you know, the rules don't allow to have a second engine in the vehicle mm-hmm. or else maybe they would. And, there, and I'm not speaking out against the rules entirely because I understand that if you want these things to be real competitions, there have to be guidelines. Yeah. So that it can come down to the driver's prowess. Sure. Uh, but still, man, I, I just, I, it yeah, bums see, me out. You said it, guidelines. Guidelines, yeah, not, okay. not strict, not, well, there are the rules, but, you know, rules mm. are meant to be bent. <laughs> not broken, just bent. So, yeah, that's right. And it's, that's what racing's all about, right? I mean, that's how, that's how the sport grows and it evolves. Sidebar, before you go out, you got one last note? I, I do. And, you know, this is just one quick thing. If you want to see this Venturi effect in action. Yes. Oddly enough, there's a little RC car now on the, on the market that you can get that can drive on the walls and uses the Venturi effect, just like the 2J did. Um, it's, you know, I'm going to mention the brand. This is not a product endorsement or they anything. Didn't, they don't pay us. No, no. It's, it's one of those little air hog cars, you know, like they have the little small helicopters and they have the airplanes and oh, things yeah, that yeah, are yeah. relatively inexpensive to, to buy, you know, on the sure. shelf at a toy store. They have, uh, Venturi effect cars. I don't know what they call them. They call them zero gravity cars, I think. Uh huh. Something like that. And you can drive the RC car on the wall and it's really just a fan that's sucking it to the wall. That's exactly the way the 2J works. So if you want to think of it in that mm. simple term. Yeah. That's the way it works. Or if your kid is sweating you for to to get a art two J. How you know one quick thing? Yeah. How, how powerful were those motors really? The ones that suck the air out? They say. Now I've read this one other place, and I think you know what? Actually, it comes from the listener mail, and I didn't read this anywhere else. Okay. I, nowhere it comes from nowhere else but this email, so I can't verify this. Okay. Yeah. Um, it says that without the engine, the seven hundred horsepower engine operating. Um, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm, I'm shuffling sure, through sure, my sure. notes. But without that engine operating, um, the Chaparral 2J would reportedly go 60 miles per hour with the engine off and the car in neutral because of the velocity generated from the thrust um, of the two fans at the back of the vehicle. Because, you know, it's pulling the air out. powered by the snowmobile? Exactly. The 45-horsepower engine, if the car's in neutral, it'll power the vehicle forward on a flat surface at 60 miles per hour. Now, that's reported. You know, who knows if that's true or not. But but remember, all that air is being pulled out from underneath and pushed out the back of the vehicle. So it makes sense. There's forward. There is some sort of propulsion. There's a a thrust to the back of the vehicle there. So, yeah, it's going to move forward. But I didn't think it would get going that quick. I mean, 60 miles per hour, Mm. that's amazing. You know, uh, to go back to this point, man, in baseball, when when the sport of baseball was still in its infancy, um, you know, people didn't use catching gloves. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they had these things that were just like leather pads so the outfielders could bat the ball down sure. and then pick it up and throw it. Yeah. And it was considered unsportsmanlike to use a glove really? for, for some time afterwards. And now, of course, they are a necessary part of the sport. Of course. Um and I wonder if technology and racing is tracing the same sort of evolution, you know? So is it, how long is it going to be unsportsmanlike to, to have fans? Yeah, you know, it's just, like we said, it's just a matter of bending those rules. I'm becoming too much of a nerdy fan of the, <laughs> the ground effect. We got to get yeah. out of here, yeah, Scott. Yeah, we do. All right. So listeners, um, Kirby, Dan, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this podcast as much as we enjoyed doing it. Um, hope we answered some of your questions. Uh, and the rest of our listeners, thank you guys always for tuning in. 
Give us a holler on Facebook. Give us a shout on Twitter. Find us on our website, HowStuffWorks.com. Do you have an idea for a vehicle or a topic you'd like us to discuss in a future episode? We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.